In a large and fortified chateau built on a rugged steep overlooking the Loire, not far from the town of Nantes, dwelt the last of her race, and the heiress of their fortunes, the young and beautiful Countess de Villeneuve. She had spent the preceding year in complete solitude in her secluded abode, and the mourning she wore for a father and two brothers, the victims of the civil wars, was a graceful and good reason why she did not appear at court and mingle with its festivities. But the orphan countess inherited a high name and broad lands, and it was soon signified to her that the king, her guardian, desired that she should bestow them, together with her hand, upon some noble whose birth and accomplishments should entitle him to the gift. Constance, in reply, expressed her intention of taking vows and retiring to a convent. The king earnestly and resolutely forbade this act, believing such an idea to be the result of sensibility overwrought by sorrow, and relying on the hope that, after a time, the genial spirit of youth would break through this cloud. A year passed, and still the countess persisted, and at last Henry, unwilling to exercise compulsion, desirous, too, of judging for himself of the motives that led one so beautiful, young, and gifted with fortune's favors to desire to bury herself in a cloister, announced his intention, now that the period of her mourning was expired, of visiting her chateau, and if he brought not with him, the monarch said, inducement sufficient to change her design, he would yield his consent to its fulfillment. Many a sad hour had Constance passed, many a day of tears, and many a night of restless misery. She had closed her gates against every visitant, and, like the Lady Olivia in Twelfth Night, vowed herself to loneliness and weeping. Mistress of herself, she easily silenced the entreaties and remonstrances of underlings, and nursed her grief as it had been the thing she loved. Yet it was too keen, too bitter, too burning to be a favored guest. In fact, Constance, young, ardent, and vivacious, battled with it, struggled, and longed to cast it off. But all that was joyful in itself, or fair in outward show, only served to renew it and she could best support the burden of her sorrow with patience, when, yielding to it, it oppressed but did not torture her. Constance had left the castle to wander in the neighboring grounds. Lofty and extensive as were the apartments of her abode, she felt pent up within their walls, beneath their fretted roofs. The spreading uplands and the antique wood associated to her with every dear recollection of her past life enticed her to spend hours and days beneath their leafy coverts. The motion and change eternally working, as the wind stirred among the boughs, or the journeying sun rained its beams through them, soothed and called her out of that dull sorrow, which clutched her heart with so unrelenting a pang beneath her castle roof. There was one spot on the verge of the well-wooded park, one nook of ground, whence she could discern the country extended beyond, yet which was in itself thick-set with tall, umbrageous trees, a spot which she had forsworn, yet whither unconsciously her steps forever tended. 
and where now again, for the twentieth time that day, she had unaware found herself. She sat upon a grassy mound and looked wistfully on the flowers she had herself planted to adorn the virtuous recess, to her the temple of memory and love. She held the letter from the king, which was the parent to her of so much despair. Dejection sat upon her features, and her gentle heart asked fate why, so young, unprotected, and forsaken, she should have to struggle with this new form of wretchedness.